If you'll open your, your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5, we see a familiar person tonight in the book of Proverbs as we're going to see the immoral woman. We've already introduced her in chapter 2 of our study, but tonight we're going to get a little bit more clear picture of her as we will in the upcoming weeks. She seems to come to and fro in the book of Proverbs, which I think is, uh, again, a work of the Holy Spirit because we, we understand her nature is to go to and fro looking for prey. Um, chapter 5, verse 1. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend or bow your ear to my understanding, that you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Notice again that the Lord's encouraging us as he has time and time again in this book of Proverbs to just pay attention, to lend our ear, literally to bow our ear as he's about to speak to us. It's about that heart preparation, right? Because we realize we can come to the word of God and if our heart's not right, if our, if our minds aren't focused, then it's just going to go right over our head and we won't even realize what God wants to speak to us. And so, again, he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get the young man's attention, particularly here. And notice, again, he's going to reintroduce the immoral woman. For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Literally, she's a strange woman. You know, and, and in this culture, typically, uh, this would be a woman from another country, a foreign woman. If you recall, one of the ways that the enemies of Israel would defeat Israel was sending women into the land. And these women would seduce the men of Israel. They would get them to fall, and ultimately they would get them to worship other gods, their gods. And that was a tactic many times of the enemies of Israel, ultimately of the enemy of Israel. But that's not necessarily the woman that's spoken of here. Rather, this woman, this immoral woman, seems to be an Israelite. And this is really indicative of the country of Israel, the fact that the women have gone to a place where women in Israel usually didn't go. This was something that the women were not supposed to do. In fact, we know that you know, prostitution was just not something that was looked upon as a good thing in this nation. But as in any nation, you can see the state of that nation by where the women are at. Because typically the men are the first to fall, right? Men are the first to be depraved. Men are the first to go into sin headlong. And usually women will later on follow course. And so this is an indictment, really, of the state of the nation of Israel at this time that you have an immoral woman, a woman most likely, an Israelite lady who we would say grew up in the church, so to speak. She was in the church, but no longer there. But she's, she was religious previously. And notice... As, as we look at this here, notice that there's a conflict between your lips and hers. Because remember, in verse 2, it says, your lips may keep knowledge. And then in verse 3, we see it's her lips drip honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. And so we see that there's this, this, this battle right now between lips, so to speak, between words, between truth and lies. And that is the ultimate battle right now. It is a battle between truth and lies. And what we're going to see is our need to speak the word of God in times of temptation. Have you ever experienced that before? 
You know, at the very heart of any temptation that we face as Christians is a lie. And you can think about the kind of temptation that you experience. Each of us, we have our own areas that we might struggle in. Think about those temptations. What are the lies being told to you? What are the lies that I've believed maybe in giving into those temptations? And how do we combat those lies? Well, you better know truth. And so we need knowledge. We need the, our lips to keep knowledge. Why? Because there's lips of an immoral woman. There's lips of sin that are speaking to us, wanting us to fall, wanting us to give in to temptation. Now let's look at a description of her words. Notice first that her lips drip honey. And that word drip, it means to fall drop by drop. And at the time, honey was the sweetest substance that they were aware of. And so the picture is eating, dripping honey right off the honeycomb. It's sweet. It's the sweetest kind of honey you can find. And it's coming right off of her lips. She's speaking sweet things. Notice second that her mouth is smoother than oil probably filtered olive oil at the time, and it's, it was the smoothest of substances. So her speech is very smooth. And the picture of her, she speaks sweet and smooth things. In other words, she flatters. She flatters this young, strapping man, you know? You're so handsome. You're so good looking. Can I measure those muscles? <laughs> Not that that's ever happened to me before. <laughs> but she's using her lips to flatter. She's doing something to the heart of man. She's reducing his ability to discern and fight off the attack, isn't she? Because that's what flattering lips do. They, they cause us to lower our guard to where we become vulnerable. And the man is there, whoo, you know. Boy, someone notices me. I knew these babies were big before, but man, you know, she's really reminding me how good these guns really are, right? Someone respects me. Someone pays attention to me. And this is extremely enticing to men, isn't it, guys? Having a woman fawn over you, proclaim words that just build you up. I see wives looking at their husbands right now. Guys are shaking their heads. No, honey, <laughs> this has no meaning to me. I don't even know what he's talking about here. But wives, uh, you know, we'll get to husbands. Don't worry about that. As we look at Proverbs, guys are going to get hammered time and time again. But I, I just want to say something to the wives in this room or, or prospective wives. We could learn something, I think, from the seductive woman. And that is that she's flattering this man. And sometimes you see, especially in the case of adultery, um, I think the question that we have to ask as wives is, what kind of words are coming out of my mouth to my husband? Are they words that are building him up, encouraging him, showing respect, reminding him that you see him? You know, I know at the end of the day, men are just as insecure as anyone else, right guys? And, and as men, we need that affirmation, we need that encouragement. And it's the opposite of harsh, critical words, you know, why don't you do it this way, type of thing. Pull up your pants. You look like a slob, you know. And then this woman goes on, oh, you're so handsome. I guess I'm not that much of a slob, right? 
But this is also, you know, you could, you could, you don't have to think of this in terms of a man and a woman. You could also put a woman in this place. And maybe it's not necessarily just the words, but, oh, he listens to me. Oh, he pays attention to me. I wish my husband was like you. And this is just a word of counsel. You know, I, I would encourage, you know, it, it's so wise for men. Be wise. Don't put yourself in difficult spots. Same way with women. You know, we should guard ourselves to not be alone with someone of the opposite sex, to not put ourselves in difficult situations. If you know someone has those flattering lips, whether it's a guy or a girl, as we'll see tonight, get away. Don't even put yourself in that difficult situation because it's real, right? It's real. And so today we see the seductive woman everywhere, don't we? We see her in commercials selling things that I don't know what they have to do with a woman Harley dressed. She could be trying to sell, I don't know, toothpaste. And you're thinking, what in the world does this woman have to do with toothpaste, right? She's on billboards, magazines, the internet. She's at work. And the seductive woman ultimately can be anywhere today. You don't have to go searching for her. She will find you wherever you're at. Another thought that I had as I was thinking about this, you know, as, as we as a church and we as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, the, the little girls that we are having grow up here, even in, within our church, how are we causing our little girls to be presented to the world? So often I see little girls of Christian parents looking no different than little girls of non-Christian parents, the way that they're dressed. You know, little girls do not need to show revealing tops or bottoms or any women, so to speak, does not need to show those type of things. The makeup. What's the purpose of the makeup? The tight and revealing clothing, the short dresses and shorts, the yoga pants, even the way that you see girls doing the selfies today, right? Did you ever see the selfies with the, the lips, how they get them out there? And it's just... It's like, what are you trying to prove? Who are you trying to woo? But it's seductive and it's allure. The selfie poses, you know. Men don't need to see the lips or the rear, right? Don't draw attention to those things because here's the fact. Today, because of the impact of our society, men largely view women as objects. And men's hearts and their minds are trained to view women as something that they get something from. And if women or our little girls were dressing them in this certain way, we're just like putting them out there for, as prey upon men whose minds are corrupt. And it's sad, but it's the world that we live in. And women, if you want men to love you, the last thing you want to do is ignite the engine of an object because that's what men are looking for is an object. And so if all we're doing is drawing attention to the package, then again, you're just reinforcing the fact that you're just an object. And you're not. You're so much more than that. And the Lord wants us to dress modestly. I just, you know, it's, I don't have little girls. I don't have to deal with this, which I'm kind of thankful right now. I would be the dad always looking out for my little girl, especially knowing what I know about men, right? Um, but as I have my boys growing up, I want to train them how to view a woman, how to treat a lady. And of course, here, the, the moral woman is not the kind of woman that we want any of our daughters to become. Notice in verse 4, he points out the end 
But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps laid hold of hell. Notice he draws our attention to in the end. In other words, the Lord wants us to see not just the lips, right? Not just the rear. He wants us to see the end of it all. He wants us to see where the path leads. And what started out as sweet becomes bitter. What started out as smooth has become sharp as a two-edged sword. Literally, it means a sword of her mouth. Her lips devour people is the idea. And just as honey is sweet, but the bee stings. And that's what we see with this woman, the seductress. And like a Ginsu knife dipped in whipped cream, you take the first taste of it and it's sweet to the taste, but then it cuts. It destroys. And it's such a picture of sin, isn't it? It's such a picture of temptation. It doesn't have to be sexual sin. Because temptation, as we see here, it only tells us half of the truth, doesn't it? It only tells us part of the story. It tells us, hey, this is going to feel really nice. This is great, man. You're going to enjoy this. And it only tells you the good part, doesn't it? It tells you how you're going to like this. You're going to love it. In fact, it actually pushes away any thought of consequence when we think of the temptations that we face. She doesn't tell you about the bitterness, does she? She doesn't tell you that her lips devour. She just tells you what's sweet. She tells you what you want to hear. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we, we in, our, in our sin, we, we can even just, knowing the consequences, can't we just push those things away sometimes? Like sometimes we know where it leads. We know where the path goes, but we just push those consequences away because we don't want to think about them. And we just see that sweetness right before our eyes. But it only tells us, again, half of the truth. And usually, isn't it true that things that are easily attained usually are not that good? You know, most things in life that are worthwhile, don't they take time? And most temptations, in my experience, are actually shortcuts. You see, the the seductive woman is a shortcut to a meaningful relationship. She gives men what, what they want without having to invest. She makes a man feel like a man without being a man. It's a shortcut. But all shortcuts come to an end, don't they? It reminds me, I don't know if some of you heard about this. In 2005, there was a a website called Ashley Madison. Anyone hear about that? And on this website, their their clientele were married people. And the, the, the thing on the website, the statement said this. It said, life is short, have an affair. You believe that? Life is short, have an affair. And in 2015, they had 32 million subscribers. Now, how I found out about this website, I was not part of it, (laughs) just to make it clear. But how I found out about this website is that in July of 2015, hackers infiltrated the website. And basically, they stole consumer data And they threatened, unless they shut down the website immediately, data will be released. And they ended up releasing at least one wave of data. And I remember remember seeing an article, a man actually, I believe he, he might have been a pastor even. He was caught. His name got out there and he ended up committing suicide. 
And what's sad about this story, this was 2015, you know, the, the website never fully went down. They ended up changing the board of directors, I guess, in this organization. They took away the whole motto, life is short, have an affair. But later, as time went on, guess what motto came back? Life is short, having an affair. And here's the really sad part about all of this. As of February 2019, they have now reached 60 million viewers, 60 million subscribers. In other words, the, the number has, more, has doubled since that breach went out. But isn't that a state of our society that we live in? It's a picture of a, a heart that's craving something. And that something is out there. And it's lurking. It's this immoral woman. And again, it doesn't have to be necessarily person to person anymore, right? It can be on Facebook. It can be on Twitter. It can be through texting or sexting, whatever you want to call it. That that person doesn't have to even be face to face at this point. Though it ultimately will lead to that eventually, if unchecked. But this is a danger that we're seeing our society inundated with. And how our, our lips need to speak the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God against these lies, right? You see, her, her lips, it, it's like a sword. It's like, a, what does it say here? A double-edged sword. Well, what else is a double-edged sword? The Word of God. And that's why we saw in verse 2 that our lips may keep knowledge. We need the Word of God to fight this truth. Because if we don't have the truth, that half-truth will get us every time. And we won't see it for what it is. We will give in to that lie when we're weak. Maybe not on a good day, right? How many of you realize, you know, the enemy doesn't usually attack us always on a good day. It's when our guard is down. It's when we're not thinking about things. It's when we've just kind of checked out or we've, you know, you've gone to church all Sunday. If you've sang praises to the Lord, now you're just ready to just relax. And boom, here it comes without even thinking. We need to be like Joseph. Remember when Joseph was seduced by Potiphar's wife? Do you remember what came out of his mouth when he was seduced by her? He said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There was two things that he, he means by that statement. Number one, he called sin for what it is. He understood this is wickedness. The scripture doesn't tell us what Potiphar's wife looked like. I'm guessing knowing the enemy, she was probably hot. And Joseph could have anything in that house, except for her, the forbidden fruit. And we know in, in our nature what that forbidden fruit ultimately does. It causes us to say, ooh, maybe I want that. And here you have a woman coming after you, you know. This is what Joseph probably thought before he had a relationship with the Lord. This is what Joseph wanted for years. But he's serving the Lord, and now all of a sudden, this woman's coming at him. How can I do this wickedness? He called sin what it really is. He spoke truth in the midst of the lie. The second thing he did is he said, how can I do this great thing and sin against God? See, he understood that he's accountable to the Lord, even if no one else knew. Even if, and it never usually happens this way, as we're going to see here in our text, even if Potter's first wife took it to her grave, God knew. And God would know, right? He'd have to give an account to the Lord. He couldn't get over on God. He might get over on Potiphar. He might get over on all of Egypt. But he won't get over on God. What wisdom Joseph had. You know, as I read that scripture as a man, I plead with the Lord, Lord, let me have that heart. 
Lord, I want to have that wisdom. I want to have that boldness. I want to know the truth. I want to see truth for what it is. And I want to see lies for what they are. And so we look at verse 5 as we think about her steps. Her feet go down to death and her steps lay hold of hell. In other words, God wants you to get your eyes off of her mouth and onto her feet. Look at where she leads you. Don't be deceived. She has that eye makeup on. She gives you those little giggly eyes, you know, the, the little sparkle in the eye. You look at her lips and they're dripping with honey and guys are there just like an ox to the slaughter. But the Lord's saying, don't just get caught up with what she's saying. Look at where she's going. Look at her feet where they lead you. And where do they lead? They lay hold of hell. Remember last week we said there is a path that this man is on and this path is not where we want to go. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them, right? She's aimlessly wandering from place to place, lurking, we're going to see in a couple weeks, right? She never can stand still. She's like the Israelites in the wilderness, just going around in circles, no real direction, just gravitating, clinging to whoever, whoever she can cling to. And you know what's funny about it is the guy who she clings to thinks that he's it. He's not it. It's just the one that she found at the time. But that's her tactic. Therefore, hear me now, my children, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Remove your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Do not go near her. Literally, don't go into the most near and innermost proximity of her. And when it says this door, it's a door that points to an entry without an exit. There's no exit here. You go through this door, and again, it has a path and a destination. It's one way in, and ultimately, it'll be one way out. And it's not the way that we think it will be, right? We don't think about those consequences in these times. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the cruel one. And when it says here, honor and years, what he's getting at is that the, you will lose the best years of your life. As a young man, you will lose your vitality. You will lose those years that you could have been building treasure ultimately in heaven as believers. You could lose those years that God could have used when you had that energy and that strength and she's going to sap it all out of you. And you have nothing to show for those years. Isn't that tragic? You know, I've seen men in their 60s and 70s in institutions and because of her, because of sin, having absolutely nothing to show for their life. That's tragic. And then you have these young kids, 18 years old, in these programs and they see the older guys in the programs and they don't want to listen to them. And I would tell these young guys, I said, you know what? You, these guys might not be able to tell you what to do, but they sure as heck can tell you what not to do. Because you're on a path, and if you're lucky enough to live to 60 years old, this is where you're heading. But most people on that path don't even live that long. And most people who encounter this lady don't live to see those later years. Lest aliens be filled with your wealth and your labors go to the house 
of a foreigner. Now, why is it speaking of aliens and foreigners here and our wealth going out to these people? Well, first of all, notice the word labor, okay? Interesting word. That is the same word used. Remember when Eve and Adam, when they sinned and God told her that she would have labor pains as a result of their sin? It was a consequence of sin. Same word used here for labor. Interesting that both times it's a consequence of sin. And so this guy, he's going to be laboring to the point of exhaustion, again, and having nothing to show for it. And in Old Testament days, first of all, if you were in Israel and you were caught committing adultery, you'd be killed, right? You were done. But if you were not killed in Middle East society, if this woman was married, her husband could actually make you his slave. And you would have to work for this husband, quite frankly, maybe for the rest of your life. And again, have nothing to show for anything. Can you imagine that? The rest of your life a slave because of one act of passion. You know, for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of pleasure. And not only the rest of your life, the possible consequences, but for all of eternity here. For what? For something that just is like that. How many people today are in our world living in regret because of that 10, 15 minutes of saying yes to something that's destroyed them. It's humbling, right? You know, as believers, listen, it can happen to the strongest of us. You know, we get a little bit proud. We get puffed up. We think that we've got this thing down. We think that we've got our Christian walk together. Pride comes before the fall. And even as a believer, we could make a, just a second decision that impacts so much. Doesn't it remind us how much we need the Lord? How much we need to depend on his spirit? How much we need his word in our life? How it should change the way we approach the word of God. That when we realize the lies that are going to be coming to us this very week. And how much we need the Lord's word every single day. We cannot live off of yesterday's bread. We need the Lord's word today for today's temptations. Now today it might not send you to be a slave. But think of the alimony, the child support, the broken homes, the broken hearts, the abortion. And this has become a new normal. You know, I remember we were in Ollie's. This was a couple years ago. And we needed to get a dictionary for our boys. We homeschooled the boys, so, you know, we wanted to get a nice dictionary for them. And I was browsing through the different dictionaries, and this one claimed to be the cutting-edge dictionary, you know, the most modern, up-to-date use of the English language. And I'm like, oh, that sounds pretty neat. And then I turned to the back, because it, it, it gave examples of some of these new words. And you'll never guess what the, the first word that it listed there was baby mama. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. I don't know if it's good or not. I, I didn't, I'm standing there in the store reading this, and I'm thinking, you know, academic, great, dictionary, baby mama. <laughs> And it's funny, but isn't it heartbreaking? Like, that's where we are. That's where our society is. That this is a word that we have to define because it's used so frequently. And of course, we all know that baby mama is not the same as girlfriend, right? I'm sorry. I'm losing you. But countless lives, both in the time of Solomon and as well as today, they've been broken because of sexual sin. 
It's a sin that reaches part, part of us that no other sin reaches. It, it cuts deeper than I believe most sins do. And this is what Paul would say to the Galatians. Do not be deceived, right? God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. Oh, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Praise the Lord for that alternative, right? Thank the Lord that there is an alternative, that we don't have to go down the route of the flesh. Verse 11 And again, you mourn at last when your flesh and your body are consumed. This is really good news, isn't it? Your flesh and your body are consumed, possibly speaking of sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, The the CDC, I was looking that up this week just to get a picture of what the state of our society is right now. And there was an article stating a record high STDs in the U.S. in 2018. And it was comparing stats from 2014 to 2018. Uh, Gonorrhea has gone up 63%, 583,405 cases. Primary and secondary syphilis up 71% in those four years, 35,000 cases. Congenital syphilis up 185%, 1306 cases. Chlamydia. 19% 19% increase, 1.8 million cases just in 2018. 40% increase in newborns born with syphilis. And just between 2017 and 2018, there was a 22% increase in newborn deaths due to syphilis. So we see the CDC's warning. It's saying that there's an issue here. The sexual revolution has not subsided in the 1960s. Rather, we're seeing the fruits of that revolution to this day, and it keeps getting worse and worse, not better and better. And by the way, you know, the world says, well, let's just practice safe sex, or let's just do this or that, and and they have all these ideas of how we're going to stop this from happening. We're going to teach little kindergartners now about sex, as if that's the solution. And notice the man who's given into this. Notice what he says about it in verse 12. This is his saying. And say, how I have hated instruction, and my heart despised correction. I have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to those who instructed me. I was on the verge of total ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Right? These are the thoughts of the one whose life has been wrecked by sin. And you could put yourself in whatever kind of sin. It doesn't have to be sexual sin, right? But it's the regret of sexual sin. How he hated and despised instruction and correction. He loved darkness rather than light. And he knew better. Because his teachers told him. But notice it's brought him public shame at this point. In Jewish society, this was huge. See, you can only keep your sin secret for so long, but it gets exposed. And it's been exposed now for everyone to see his state. At the beginning, it was easy to keep secret, right? But as it grows, it becomes evident to everyone. Now, I just want to say something real quick here. This man was blessed because there were teachers in his life who taught him the word of God. He didn't listen. My heart goes out to a whole generation that didn't have those teachers. 
You know, we, we have a society today where there was no one to teach them these things. And even I myself, you know, I, I've been saved, I don't remember, since 2003. I'm still personally dealing with the scars of learning about this stuff in all the wrong ways, even before I was saved. You know, these things don't just leave you, right? This brings lasting scars to our life. If the father didn't warn this son, then the father would be held guilty. And how it reminds me as a father, as, as parents, as people in our church, you know, we need to be teaching the younger people this, the word of God, preparing them. You know, I thank the Lord for Charlie and Dee. I thank the Lord for their hearts when it comes to the youth ministry. Because it's not just about entertaining our youth. It's not just about having a nice little show and a, a fun little event because they're heading into this world where temptation's going to meet them head on. And I'm thankful for their hearts to equip our youth with the word of God, that it's not just a social event, that church is not just a social event. We need to be equipping our children, equipping our own hearts for the day of temptation. Notice he goes on to say this. Now he's going to turn a little bit here in verse 15. He's going to give us some positive stuff now. I like that. Not just all negative. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. He's going to use many different terms for water, right? And the idea is a cistern or a well. They were private or they were on your own property. And these were precious and arid and in hot temperatures. And the idea is to stay at home and enjoy sexual relation with your own spouse, your own wife, or your own husband. Let your spouse quench your sexual thirst. That's the idea. We're thirsty. That's how God made us. But there's a way that we quench that thirst. If we quench that thirst any other way, it's going to burn. It's like drinking poison. But if we quench our thirst in the manner that God has prescribed... Now we're going to see the blessings of that. Notice verse 16. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Now, I, there's different ways to interpret that. I look at it as a negative. Like, you don't want your stuff out there abroad. You don't need children running around in the streets that, are, that, that you're, you're just the, the, the baby's father or your data, but you're not really a father to. You know, we don't need that in our society. Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Beautiful language, right? It's meant to be beautiful. It's meant to attract us. It's meant, notice the opposite of, of the dripping lips. Rather, this shows the beauty of the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife. That sexual enjoyment is to be found there, right? God's the creator of it. Sometimes I think we forget, or at least the previous generation, the previous Christian generation forgot that God is the originator of sex. You know, in the church, it used to be something that you just don't talk about. Yet, we worship the creator of it. We worship the originator of it. I used to tell the guys at the Salvation Army, that tells me God's a pretty awesome God, right? It's a good thing. As Christians, we don't have to like, not say a word about it, like awkwardly, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, 
We need to be pointing people to the design because he's a designer and he's crafted it in a way that's beautiful. It's glorious. It's better than what the cheap imitation that the world offers. And the world looks at us as if we're just, we're naive, we're, we're foolish. And yet God wants good for us, doesn't he? He wants us to be blessed in this relationship between a man and a woman. He knows how it is to be best experienced. And this is what amazes me about the Lord. In creating something so beautiful and pleasurable, he took a great risk, didn't he? See, when God created sex, he took a great risk because of the pleasure that he attached to it. But do you realize that our Lord, our creator, wanted to bless us so much he did not withhold that pleasure from it? He could have. He could have just made it an interaction and boom, you know, women pop out the babies and no pleasure, no joy, no intimacy. He could have done that. But he was making it something to point us to something so much greater. Because isn't this a picture of Christ in the church? And so he took a great risk, and we see the world just destroyed by it because they're not following his instructions. But as Christians, as we enjoy this within its proper bounds, it points us to him. It points us to a joy that, that, that our hearts long for, that we just get a glimpse of here on this side of eternity. And it points us ultimately to Christ. But it also warns us that the grass is not greener on the other side, right? The grass is not greener. It's not about open marriages. You know, that's kind of the catchword today, having an open marriage where, you know, you can have sexual partners with whoever you want just as long as it's consensual between you and your spouse. Or I saw on the internet the other day the word thruples, I guess. Uh, polygamy, I guess, isn't flying anymore. Now they have to call it something else. And so now the word is thruples if you have a three-party three relationship. What confusion, right? We live in a day and age of sexual confusion. People don't even know their own sexual identities. We've been so destroyed by sexual sin. And it's heartbreaking. But rather, he wants us to be enraptured with her love. That word means intoxicated. That as a husband, I should be intoxicated with the love of my wife. I did a couple other word studies here. Um, you know, it's so interesting when you go verse by verse, right? Chapter by chapter, it causes you to kind of talk about things that I'd much rather not talk about in public. But do a word study sometime with these words. You'll be amazed. As a loving deer, as a graceful doe. She's like a goat. <laughs> I love Solomon in the Song of Songs, right? You're like, I don't know what my wife has to do with a goat, but hey, <laughs> she's looking pretty. <laughs> Someday we'll do the Song of Solomon. I guess Rob left that one for me. <laughs> Verse 20. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductress? And by the way, when you have that intimate relationship with the wife, that protects you from, from this, no doubt. For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord. Joseph remembered that, didn't he? And he ponders all his paths, his own iniquities and trap, the wicked man. And he is caught in the cords of his sin. 
He shall die for lack of instruction. And that word die, it doesn't mean just physically die. It means eternally die. He shall die for the lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. God forbid. In closing, I, you know, I, I was thinking about this. And I, I just couldn't help but remember a story that I'd learned in the fifth grade. Uh, those of you who are literature buffs, if you've ever read Homer's Odyssey, it's an idolatrous story. I'm not trying to promote it in and of itself. But it does give us a picture, I believe, of this immoral woman. There's a, there's a man named Odysseus in Homer's Odyssey. And after the Trojan War, he's traveling by ship home to see his wife, whom he loves. And he's warned about the sirens, these mythical creatures who seduce men. And this is what it says. It says, first, you will raise, you will raise the island of the sirens. Those creatures who spellbind any man alive, whoever comes their way, whoever draws too close, off guard, and catches the siren's voices in the air, no sailing home for him, no wife raising to meet him, no happy children beaming up at their father's face. The high, thrilling song of the sirens will transfix him, lulling him there in the meadow, Round them heaps of corpses rotting away, rags of skin shriveling on their bones. It, it paints the same picture that we actually read here in Proverbs, right? And he's told, Odysseus is told, make sure you race straight past their coast. Don't go near the door, right? And he tells them, fill the crewmen's ears with beeswax so they don't even hear the temptation. But if you're bent on hearing these sirens, have the men tie you to a mast with ropes. And if you want off, don't let them untie you, but actually have them tie you even tighter. And what does he do? He proceeds to follow the instruction. He fills the men's ears with earwax or with beeswax. And he becomes tied to the mast. And the sirens call out to him, Come closer, famous Odysseus. Achaia's pride and glory. You know, you're so strong. We've heard of you. Moor your ship on your coast so you can hear our song. Never has a sailor passed our shores in his black craft until he has heard our honeyed voices pouring from our lips. Sound familiar? And once he hears to his content, sails on a wiser man. In other words, this is going to bless you. And guess what he does as he's traveling by those sirens and he's tied to that mast and he listens to their voice. He wants the men to untie him, but they tie him tighter. Why do I bring that all up? I think, though that's an idolatrous tale, we have a true story that's so much better than that folklore, that myth, because we have a Savior who is tempted in all ways and without sin, yet who out of love for his bride was willingly tied to a tree for our sins, for the sins of all others so that we could spend eternity with him. Thank the Lord, we have a savior. You know, sexual sin is serious. We make some jokes tonight, but it scars. And if sexual sin is a part of your past or even a part of your present, you know, the Lord offers you an opportunity. Repent, confess your sin to the Lord. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. And he will also begin a cleansing and a renewing process in our lives. That just as the adulteress who is caught in the act of adultery and is brought before the feet of Jesus and everyone else is condemning her, what did he say? 
Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And every one of them left. And there he is face to face with this woman. Where are your accusers? Then neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Thank the Lord we have a Savior who died for these very sins. We're not judging people. We're throwing a life preserver out to a dying world that's on a path that leads to destruction. And thank the Lord that we have a Savior who entered into this world to deliver us from this very bondage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for good news, Lord. We thank you that there is hope. Lord, even some of us, Lord, have baggage, Lord, in this area. And we trust that you will cleanse us and wash us and renew us, Lord, and forgive us of all sin because you are faithful and you are just to do so, Lord. Father, there's people in our lives, Lord, people in our hearts, even as we hear this, we see the wreckage that sexual sin has caused. Lord, we lift those folks up to you, Lord, right now. We pray that you would intervene in their lives, Father, that you would reveal to them truth, Lord, that the truth would outweigh the lies, Lord, that they've believed, and that they would see that there is a Savior who wants to deliver from this bondage, Lord. Would they see the glory that you've instituted, Father? God, we, would you help us as a church to be pure, to be set apart, to be holy, Lord, to be a chaste bride waiting for your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.